We all have a story, and all Star Wars fans have a Star Wars story. Join James as he talks with a special guest each episode to share their Star Wars story. Joining me today on the Outlander Club is Din from F105. Din, how are you doing? Great, James. How are you doing? I'm doing swell. Just swell is a word Gee. I will bring back. Gee willikers. <laughs> we, that's how we should do this whole show, just speaking like they did and leave it to Beaver. Um, we, but we're not going to. We're going to get in. Din, before we get right into your Star Wars story, why don't you give everybody a Cole's Note version of who you are? Just a little background into Din. Well, who I am? Um, <laughs> a loaded question. I, <laughs> I, my name is Din. I, I, uh, I, I have this band project thing called F One Hundred Five, and I make songs like Rebel Girl and uh, Desert Planet, and Outer Space from the last one, and I am obsessed with Star Wars, like everyone here. And I wish I could slam dunk in basketball, but I can't. That's me in Most a nutshell. Most of us can't. That's you, the, the, the man who wishes he could slam dunk a basketball. That's yeah. uh, that's the show. Goodbye. We're going to hear some of your songs at the end of this show. But this is Outlander Club. This is all about your Star Wars story. And the cool thing is you, you are a musician. You do have your band, Project F-105. And you do have a lot of Star Wars influences and references in your music. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're going to start off at how those influences and references got in there. When do you recall the first time, maybe not seeing Star Wars, but being made aware of Star Wars? Oh, that's a great question for any Star Wars fan, isn't it? Because Everybody's different. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear yours if you could tell me yours. Uh, so I just want to apologize off the bat to everyone. I'm just waking up, but I think I could do this. <laughs> I might be a little weird. I'm still in that dream state. Okay. We're going to hear some slurping. It's just, just coffee. It's just coffee. Yeah, it's, Triple it's espresso. Coffee. We're good. <laughs> uh, and yawning. Like I'm stretching now. Okay. So um, uh, I do remember, and it was it's vivid. It's a vivid memory that will never leave. I was probably four or five because um, it was just, I think, uh, New Hope or maybe Empire had just came out. But um, we definitely weren't into Return of the Jedi era. And I was in uh, my cousin's bedroom with my older brother. So they were six years older than me. And my cousin had on his desk uh, a TIE fighter, the Kenner TIE fighter. Mm. And it just, I guess when you're four or five, you're small, that thing looked huge. And there was something about the look and shape of it. And I could just kind of hear my, my brother and cousin talking about Star Wars. I don't remember what they were saying, but I was transfixed on this design that took me took me out there. You know, and that's a real testament to, I think, how George Lucas thought, too. And Lucas and, and McQuarrie, I don't think people realize how much it's visual art that captured mm -hmm. people's imagination. Like, it's, it's Star Wars is, the um, to me, the epitome of why it's moving pictures and not a not a book you know um or, or even theater like you're literally every frame is a is a painted composition i think that's true in star wars more than anything and, and just that the iconic tie fighter just took me into that painting just the toy and i just yeah, had I to see the movie i think for me it was toys as well i was uh, i'm i was born in 81 and uh, I, I just Star Wars. I, I said this on on the show previous this week. Star Wars has just always been in my life. Like it, like I don't, I can't recall a time where it wasn't. But I don't know if it was if it was a movie or a toy that came first. But 
the action figures definitely are what I guess our generation pulled pulled us in, right? Like they were like they were so like you said so visual, you visually unique and stunning, and you just wanted to be a part of that world. It's it's uh, George Lucas had him and Macquarie, like you said, they hit something, and then you add the music of John Williams, and all of a sudden it goes. Right? Could you footage. imagine? Like, I always think that, like, if time doesn't exist and, you know, there really is whatever this afterlife, or, you know, like, I would imagine that I would have picked this time to be born. Because you imagine living life without Star Wars? <laughs> I know. Like, I just figure I must have purposefully asked yeah. the plan to be born in 75 just to be there for Star Wars in 77. Because I don't think life would be worth living without it. <laughs> I know it's it's we it's 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 wild to think about that there there was, you know, thousands upon thousands, millions of years, without the dime. That's why the dinosaurs went extinct. There was no Star Wars. Yeah, they were like going. Yeah. They were like they just lost their will to live, like yeah. Padme. We- <laughs> All right, let's get what. Okay, so so you yeah, see, a tie this fighter. Is a, this is the problem with deep. early interviews. Yeah, yeah, we're going deep. All right, so you saw the toy. What do you remember the first toy that was given to you that you had? Um, after seeing it, did you get a toy right after that tie fighter, or or did you have to wait until you were older or saw a movie? Like, what led you down the path further into the Star Wars? Uh, uh, I don't even know what to the site. The psychotic I, nature of Star Wars that it kind of uh, did to all of us in th- those times. I don't remember. I think I was too, because I would have been uh, 77, so I would have been two. So I think I was really kind of too old to, uh, to <laughs> I was still too young to want figures. You know what I mean? Two yeah. and 77. So I've never thought about this, but my first memory of figures were getting them the ESB ones for Christmas. Nice. That year. So that must have been 80. And I do have pictures of uh, between my little brother and I, we, I don't know whose was what, but there was an ad at in the picture and the mm. play set with the, the rebel gun, you know, that shoots at the ad at the gun tower, that oh, shoots yeah. at the ad ats and uh, the death star too. That- really? That Death Star playset, you know, with the Vader throne yeah. in it, the triangle. So I had lots. I come from a big family, big half my family, big Greek family. So there was lots of people who bought me Star, bought a Star Wars presents. It was great. That's awesome. Most of my Star Wars toys, I think, were bought for me. But I, I, it might be even close to half and half. Where I was, like I said, I was born in '81, and I had a lot of uh, older uh, cousins, like not older, older, but a few years older. And I would get their hand-me-downs as well. So I had so any figure that came out, I just ended up kind of lucking out and having at some point because, like, well, this guy's too old for this one now. You get it, James. Like, yeah, you know, they'd be missing an arm or whatever. But yeah, it was like <laughs> never their lightsabers. <laughs> no, never. No, nothing. Nothing good. But okay, so you did all that. Now you are, you know, in in eighty three, Return of the Jedi comes out. You're now eight years old, seven, eight years old. Did you see this movie in the theater? Uh, one second. That's a lovely story. I just realized my mouth, uh, the, the microphone wasn't pointing at my mouth. Is that better? Oh, the, yeah, you, that's better, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is a great way to wake up, though. Talk Star yeah. Wars. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was working on a secret project yesterday that I was all hyper about. But, yeah, we can't talk about that. But that's where i'm at this morning um we'll have you back on to talk about that top secret project because you gave me a little bit of uh info on it and uh it sounds like it's gonna be fun all right um so 83 <laughs> this this is this is like a life-changing moment like a life oh yeah so great questions uh my so i do somehow i don't know what we had but obviously i was familiar obvious at this point we had a video at least of a new hope and my little brother and I had watched it so many times, a VHS copy of some sort that when we would go to sleep, like we shared the bunk beds in the same room to go to sleep, we would each try to remember every line of a new hope and like do the dialogue of the whole movie of what came next. So between the two of us, we kind of could get through the whole movie. Uh, and then, so I begged my parents, we begged, uh, parents to take us to see return of the jedi 
and I remember, um, well, this is a bit of uh, the only way I could tell this story is to be honest about it. Like any relationship, um, some some last forever, some don't. So my my dad and my my mom were going through. I guess this was the start of the divorce process at the moment oh, wow. in time, and um, and I th- I just remember that I cried when uh, so three three moments in the movie stuck out that would last forever. The one was when Luke did the 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 badass flip and lightsaber catch and took care of business on the Sarlacc pit. Oh yeah. That that was that moment. I was just like, "That's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to wear all black and be badass like Luke." So that's why I still wear all black on stage. Uh, and then I cried when Yoda died. Mm, um, wow. I remember trying to. I was tearing up, and I was trying to make sure that my my parents and my brothers can see. And uh, and then the third was I knew that my dad was going through a bit of a tough time. It, it was really hard on him. This moment in time that we were in, I, I won't go into that, but I remember having this feeling at the end when Luke kind of saved his father and his father kind of sit. When Luke, Luke being there for his father is what led me to realizing that I had this connection with my my father and which be there for him and that sort of lasted forever um through and then through my dad's tough times and then uh and then eventually when i was going through like a major really major bad depression clinical depression in my late 20s that hit out of nowhere uh, my dad was there for me so that kind of moment in return of the jedi just I just remember thinking this is special and this is special to me somehow like Luke and and his dad and Anakin. Yeah. Did you did you watch it with your father? Yeah, like in the theater in that moment I remember looking at him going, "Yeah, I get it. I get like it wasn't like I I consciously a framed a sentence, but it was like, yeah, I get this thing between Luke and Vader." Yeah. So it had a, it had a different impact on you than it would have like you know me when I watch it for the first time because it it had it had a meaning to you that you know might have even been the the point that uh, Lucas was going for. Yeah, I think uh, yeah because I do recall um, him coming across a quote of his maybe about ten years ago when he started to really uh, well now fifteen years ago when he started to really get back into Star Wars and doing all the interviews he said. Uh, he said, it's only our children, like uh, people, you know, no one could get through to Vader, but it, only his son could. And then he, he seemed to be coming from a personal space where he was saying, it's only, it's our kids that can get through to us. Yeah. So I think he was really talking about himself and where he was at after his divorce with Marcia. Mm-hmm. And uh, his kids and, and becoming a father again and and then, and then I really, I really just, yeah, that, yeah, that was intentional by him and definitely affected me that way. Were you okay with that being the end of, of the movies at that point in time? Or were you looking for more? Like, were you satisfied at that time? Well, I think. On a on a deeper level, I think everyone was satisfied because Lucas ended it right. <laughs> um, you get the you get the what Tolkien calls the "you catastrophe." He coined a term, so like the opposite of catastrophe, but it meant the sudden turn of events to good. But he he also meant that it, there was like a soul healing. Um feeling to that type of ending in fantasy and uh, consolation he called it something that that consoled you and i think because of that we all had a satisfaction on an emotional psychological level though we wanted more but i think i was too young to think 
I think I just assumed more was coming and then it just seemed to take forever. It's like at that age, I wasn't aware yeah. of the interviews, him saying I'm done with Star Wars. It was just, it w didn't hit until I was a teenager yeah. and I was like, wow, we haven't had Star Wars since 83. When is that coming? Were you too old for the Ewok and Droid cartoons? Oh, oh, that's that's good because yeah, you did. That's right. That would be when I realized I wanted more movies because I didn't feel satisfied by that stuff. Yeah, that was like that was I was like I'm a bit younger than you, so that was for me that was perfect, right? Like for my but I, but in the age, you know, it, it it's definitely not Star Wars is what I'm saying. Like it's it's great for kids to watch and enjoy, but it's not. Star Wars, Star Wars, and the older you get, the more you realize. Even though now we can look back and you know the retro feel and whatever, but it's not. It's not even like Clo Clone Wars is Star Wars, but right, those, that's those how I Star felt. Wars. Yeah. yeah, when I saw Clone Wars, it'd be like, wow, if I would have been in heaven if I had this in that era when I was a kid. I mean, there's no lightsabers. There was none of the mythological underpinnings. And oh, stuff. if you watch droids, it's got it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty wild how much stuff they've used from droids in the prequels and Kaibo Ren. And okay, I'm gonna have wild. to revisit it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Be cautious. Boba Fett shows up, and it. it's pretty. Uh, it's it's very like subtle things, and you could like it's just people who've worked on Star Wars worked on it, so some things show up in there. But like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, there wasn't Star Wars for a while. <clears throat> Man, I'm choking. There wasn't Star Wars for a while. You're you're eight years I'm old. Using the Force. You know, yeah, you're choking, choking me through through the uh, online. Yeah, just practicing, just seeing if my yeah, chops. It's, it's are working. There. Don't worry, working. I'm not going to take it too far. You're going through now. You hit uh, high school. There's no Star Wars, um, and you say you realize, oh, we haven't had Star Wars uh, for a while. Did you get into any of the novels? I know earlier you you said, you know, Star Wars is a visual medium and all that, but did you get into the novels? Because that Tron trilogy uh, was so massive at that in the early nineties, um, did you, were you into that or, or were you, or did you kind of bypass that? Of course. Yeah. So there was the heir, heir to the empire. Mm -hmm. I got that pretty, it must've been pretty like clo close to when it was released. Cause I was super excited about that and read that. And that felt like star Wars to me that the tone of it was somehow right. Mm -hmm. You know, the tone, uh, the tone just really, really felt like Star Wars, and I loved it. And I that's that's when I was like, "Oh man, this stuff needs to be on screen." And then it wasn't, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I, like I said, I was younger, so so just perspective. You read this book, you're like, "This needs to be on screen," and then there's there's no like there's not even talk at that point of it being on the screen. How does that hit you as a fan? Do you just want more more books, or are you like, hey? Somebody light Lucas's pants on fire. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it did. That's exactly what it did. It made me. It just. It was like we need Star Wars on screen again because this is how awesome it can be. Did you get into um, Shadows of the Empire? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I love that whole multimedia experience too. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious as a musician, did you get the soundtrack? Were you interested in that at all? No, no, I wasn't. So at this point, what year was that, Shadows? I think it was like 96-ish, give or take a year or two. So <laughs> 96, that was or my dark times. That was my like two year. That was like I had two years between high school and, and uh, art college where I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> They're like trying to find yourself. Yeah, I think yeah, I think there was a lot of. Um, I think I was on, uh, I think this, uh, on Kessel exploring the spice or something <laughs> for a couple years. That's all a blank to me then. So okay, so no, so Shadows of the Empire is great though, like you said, a multimedia event. But that really, from from what I've heard, that was kind of like the George Lucas's test to see if Star Wars would work again if people were, were interested in star wars on a, on a larger scale than just you know heir to the empire so now we're coming a 20 year anniversary of the ogs of the original trilogy do you buy tickets opening day do you care is this still part of your dark times where, where are you at when they announced this and when and what year was that 97 97 
okay so yeah that that was that could have been what brought me out of my uh blurred years so yeah i yeah i got opening tickets and i saw all three of the special editions in the theaters and i was just on fire for star wars again and and my by that point my obsession was lit up even more than it was when i was a kid yeah i think, think i love editions well, I loved everything, but even then, it was just the big thing that stuck out was like that Jabba. That's all I remember is thinking that looks like a piece of that looks like a that looks like just like like like. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't say the joke on air. <laughs> I see. I, I was I was uh, sixteen at the time, and I loved or fifteen or sixteen. I loved seeing Jabba. On the screen, like, I know it, it didn't look great, but I was okay with it just because it meant that I got to see Jabba the Hutt again. That's where that's where I was at on that. Yeah, I, f I felt the same too. I mean, I was happy to see him. I just was at an age. I mean, I was ninety seven. I was applying to go to art school, so I was vi visually yes. visually minded and just going <laughs> a little skeptical. On the, when Han Solo steps over the tail, you cringed. I bet. You know, I didn't. I still don't mind that. I think they did that well. It was just Jabba didn't. <laughs> It wasn't his shape. Like, it just wasn't really Jabba. They changed them in 2000 or in 2010. They've, cha they've changed his look a few times in that special edition. Yeah, it keeps getting better in the special edition, but it's still not as good for some reason as the CG Jabba and Phantom Menace. I don't know why. The Phantom Menace it, one just looks... It, well, he's younger it, and, and trimmer. <laughs> yeah, he, but still, it's it's fine. It works for me. It works for me. Yeah. Yeah, like I she think saw... it, I think it's about the texturing. Like I just think they weren't, and the lighting. Like yeah. I think if they were to well, retexture it and light it now, it would look perfect. Yeah, yeah the technology wasn't quite there when yeah. they did it in in the, in ninety seven. So they probably were working on it like ninety five, ninety six. Mm -hmm. But you see those movies, you got tickets, you watch them all. They, you know, they reinvigorate your love for Star Wars. All of a sudden, George Lucas says, "Hey, I'm making." Uh, prequels that are going to tell the story of Anakin Skywalker. And he comes out and, and, and he talks about writing on his yellow notepad. And it's all, everyone's like, yeah, he's coming back. Do you remember when you first heard that? Um, did you have a reaction to that? And and I also have to ask you about the trailer. When the trailer dro dropped, where were you? Is what I'll just say. I'll just ask. Okay, yeah. Well, I do know where I was when I first saw the trailer. But in terms of the announcement and all the web stuff, uh, I do, I do remember. Um, I had, uh, I had been given um, a, basically a studio, a room in the basement of a church, which was because um, I worked for sort of like a youth group with the with the church and um, and and the the head the head uh, minister. He was such a cool guy, uh, Father Norm Roberts. He was like, well, if you lead a, a we'll call it art ministry you know you lead like a weekly art thing with with youth i'll give you the space to do that and you can also use it as an art studio while you're in college so that was like sort of right off the bat and we had a little computer in there that was connected to the the church had internet and so i do remember sort of like waiting two hours for the little videos to download and then watching them so that was my first experience of the internet and its excitement was yeah. actually tied to the that era of star wars like it's it, incredible that, that a two-minute trailer took so like everybody that i knew downloaded this trailer all day yeah but even before that it, there was like those little web things and announcements that i was just trying to load up on that computer you know and that's what made me excited about the internet was getting star wars news yeah. and like the early websites like what were the early sites that we had there was starwars.com yeah i was, was on stuff. um my college years, I was on the force.net. Yep, that was that the first. That was it, yeah. And that was a big one. That one ruined Attack of the Clones for me. We'll get to Attack of the Clones in a little bit. Um, so you see the trailer. What 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 went through your mind when you saw that trailer? Like, uh, I, I, It's one of the best trailers ever made, but what went through your mind when you saw it? It is. That trailer is a masterpiece trailer. I just remember being in a bar, um, in a pub. You know, just having some food yeah. and, and, a, and a pint with two of my good friends and seeing the trailer played, you know, like in a sports pub. So the trailer was That's being cool. played on one of the screens. So we didn't have sound. 
Oh, that's the not one, cool. <laughs> the, the one image, but it did. You don't need it because, like, yeah, George Lucas's visuals sell you on everything. And I just remember thinking this: the coolest, the shot that is in my head was Obi Wan flipping in the Naboo uh, plasma room. You know, in the, from level to level, level to level, like uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn flipping, like chasing Darth Maul. And I thought, wow, that. That looks exciting. That's my memory of the trailer in the bar. That's awesome. That's a good memory. That's Trump's mind watching Entertainment Tonight. (laughs) Did you see the movie right away? Um, Did you wait in line outside the theater for it? How how was your first experience watching The Phantom Menace? Uh, I think maybe that was the only movie, Star Wars movie, since they started coming back where I, I didn't see it sort of opening night i think i just didn't have the skills or know know how and i was really busy with school at that point i was so busy with um, with with our college and i did see an opening week with uh with actually i was i was there with um norm roberts who i mentioned and my friend john best friend who taught me guitar when i was 15 nice. and uh, i remember we saw it all together and uh I loved it. I absolutely was blown away by the Phantom Menace. Had no really? problems with it whatsoever that other people had. I, I got to ask you this because I was I I'm, I was with you on that. I love that movie. It was my favorite Star Wars movie at the time. Um, but one of the things that I read going into it was how annoying Jar Jar was. And I, you know, I was still a teenager, and you would have been in your twenties. So, uh, like, what? But how, like you took to Jar Jar is what I'm asking. How like that that seems uh, unusual for someone of that age. Yeah, I don't. I I have no recollection of not taking to Jar Jar. I don't know if I took to him. I he think, just didn't throw you off. I, I think my my feeling was that's the part that's for kids, and that's what Star Wars is like. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1983, it, it still doesn't make sense to me that people didn't like Ewoks or were against Ewoks. I'm like, I don't get it. It's fantasy for kids, so I never, <laughs> I still don't, I still don't get what people want. And and it's the one, like when Star Wars tries to be too cool and it doesn't have stuff for kids, I start to feel like. Uh, I don't I don't get it like you know um the porgs made sense to me because I was like yeah that's yeah so I didn't I didn't have anything against Jar Jar I don't think he connected with me but I was just like yeah that's the part for kids yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so yeah you just kind of accepted him for being a character within this movie that you enjoy mm-hmm. that's it now you have to wait three years until attack of the clones uh, like we said, you so you are uh, older. You have full access to the internet. What do you do with your time in those three years? Do you prepare for Star Wars? Do you forget about Star Wars? What does uh, Young Din do? <laughs> what does Young Din do? I think <laughs> so. A lot. Your perceptions changed over that three years because that was yeah. an insane three years of Star Wars fandom, and you got to see it online. So, and it was new. You never. You never saw the arguing or the hate before. So uh, I do remember some of the criticisms after three years started to affect me. Where I, then at this point, I was questioning the the CGI feel. Um, uh, I think I think a perception started to change my perception on The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And I, I did start to want. I think some part of me wanted to start to see something that felt a little more like the OT, mm-hmm. um, which is not where I'm at now. I, I love the Phantom Menace, so I was I was ready for something a, a, that got a little maybe a little darker and a little more adult. And Attack of the Clones delivered on that for me. I I absolutely loved it the first night I saw it. Yeah, pre- that was premiere night too. So you went premiere night, and you loved, start to finish, you were all in on, on Attack of the Clones. Yeah, 
and it all happens so quick like you don't really uh, like with a lot of star wars movies you don't start to notice things that you can nitpick or be critical mm -hmm. of until after a few viewings and... which is fine it's just fine like you don't go into a movie opening night to nitpick right like, like yeah, the yeah. reason you're there the minute you can the second you can see it is to enjoy it right yeah and, and i think and it's fair later on to yeah do, you're not going to like i want to have a negative yeah. experience <laughs> well nowadays with twitter people might be doing that but back then no like you when you go opening night you go because you love what you're you are very excited for what you're going to see and and attack of the clones you know maybe for all of its faults it, it's enough to to sustain that and for you to in, to enjoy it. and then later on you're like oh maybe this maybe when you start to like really think about it and that's true of any movie really like the minute you start breaking it down in your head you're like ah oh, you know what that and sometimes that <laughs> that can ruin a movie like sometimes maybe just uh don't think about it too much but opening night obviously you go there because because you love it do you remember where you were when the title for attack of the clones was announced do you remember hearing the title announcement i think i heard it online and i do remember my feeling which was that that is a star wars title <laughs> <laughs> yeah i loved it <laughs> i remember getting that phone call i was like oh and that's an intriguing choice now i, I thought it was uh, i thought it was to me it made sense at the empire strikes back now yeah, oh the, yeah it's right up there clones are attacking it just made sense to me i do i i do i do want to add that what i was taken by opening night with attack of the clones was that as a, a person in my young 20s um and i don't care who you are but any young uh, early 20s male who's who thinks they have their psychological act together is lying and um and uh i just was really taken by anakin's psychological journey and i thought this mm -hmm. is speaking to me in a way that nothing else does yeah hmm. that was great so that's two two lucas moments that uh, connected with you at pivotal times in your life mm -hmm. interesting um, but now you have to go three years before the next one, and those and the, and it's it's crazy how when you're a kid, three years is three years. Um, but now you're getting older, and three years is more than three years now, right? Three years is it goes by a lot faster, but a lot more happens in that time, and you become maybe a different person. And now you go from Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. Um, were you? Were you as pumped to see Revenge of the Sith? Have you, did you find? I mean, you loved Attack of the Clones. Were you were you more excited for it? Like we know what's happening now. We're like, okay, you know, we're getting Vader. It's happening. Where did you stand on, on Revenge of the Sith? And again, opening night, were you there? Yeah, I was there opening night. I, I just like to. I haven't thought about this yet, but I'm just so glad that agony of waiting for the entire first half of my life is over. <laughs> Like the agony of waiting until I was 20 to see the start of Anakin's journey. And then another nine years to see the end of his journey. Like it was just revenge of the Sith was, was such a relief. It was like, Oh my God, I don't have to wait again my entire life, you know? And then when they announced the ST, you had to go through that again to see what happened to your childhood heroes, Luke Han and Leia. And there was that agony. And I'm just glad all that agony is over. And now I could just enjoy Star Wars without having to feel like every day is painful to wait <laughs> to know what happens. Um, but I do, I do remember sitting in the theater. Like, for you know, first off, the three years between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is it agonizing as it was to see how Vader, Anakin, would finally fall to Vader. It was so fun with the tartakovsky miniseries so good with the republic comics with all the books that were telling anakin's you know slow psychological sort of descent into the dark and and that stuff really was exciting and it, it was fun and so by the time revenge of the sith came i'm like i'm ready to see how this story ends and right from the start like when the when the main title ends and you know you start to pan down to Coruscant, and you hear boom, 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 boom. I'm like instantly, I'm like, ooh, this is new for John Williams. He's on fire. Like I could just tell he was inspired. Like this is a new. He's letting just a 
a simple beat create tension about what's about to happen and then boom 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 and then dun, 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 and you see that crazy 20 you know that crazy couple minute one shot of obi-wan and anakin starfighters in the battle above Car- coruscant and i'm like lucas and williams and everyone they're on fire this movie's going to be awesome like you could just tell right from that opening shot and did it let you down at all no i still think revenge of the sith is the greatest work of modern art of the last 30 years in anything there's nothing that compares whoa what i i don't even get the criticisms of of that movie i'm like how are you going to hold anything beside that movie and how is it not going to be completely crushed by it like visually story wise sonically like it's like freaking shakespeare in space like it's like the lava the lava the lava set that they built is like installation art better than in, any installation art piece you'll see in any gallery the, the the visuals of that movie like the 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 ballet of the sword fight the or the the pathos of order 66 all the different planets you know mustafar utapau kashik um i just i don't see how anything could stand beside that movie and not be completely crushed by it so I don't, and I think what we're starting to see now in pop culture is all the all the people that grew up with that movie are like that's the best Star Wars movie. Yeah, I've noticed because that too. Time, well, we do. Time is the only thing in art that allows objectivity. Time is it. You no opinion about when art comes out can tell you, but it's the stuff that lasts that everyone starts to agree on is amazing. Then it becomes objective. Yeah. We do it. He is objectively great. And I think Revenge of the Sith is that too. Like, sorry, sorry, just I just got to finish that thought. After 40 years, all of humanity can agree that ESB is objectively a great work of art movie. And I think Revenge of the Sith is that as well. Well, to your point, we we do a ranking Star Wars show every January 1st. It's just for giggles. Like, it's not, we don't. You know, it's not, this is the be all. Well, it is the be all end all this, but we don't take it too seriously. We have fun. And, and we have like 30 people or so submit their list and we add them all together. And, and I do all the adding. And I can tell you the younger, the younger, the, the list maker, the higher Revenge of the Sith is on that list all yeah. the time. It never fails. It never yeah. fails. And but it's I'm always going to be like that. New, new audiences are going to find that too. It's just our us older people that grew up with sort of an expectation of what Star Wars yeah. can be. We're the only critics, and when we die, that critique is gone with us. <laughs> no, like it will. My, It'll be my, gone I, completely. Yeah, no, you're probably right. My friend, uh, his son is nine. I think when he was seven, they had on on TV. They have around Christmas time. I think they have like the marathon. They always put on all the Star Wars movies. And uh, he fell asleep on the couch. And when he woke up, his son was watching Revenge of the Sith. And he hadn't seen a Star Wars movie. I think he had only seen, actually, I think it was only Rise of Skywalker he had seen at that point. Like, he hadn't really seen a lot of Star Wars. And he sat there, and he loved Revenge of the Sith. And he was uh, seven or eight years old. Just loved Revenge of the Sith. Was enthralled in it. Couldn't yeah, keep there's, his eyes away. So. There's something, the tone of that movie is just, it's just such a work of art. And, and it's so grand. Like, film, Star Wars will never be that again like there's Uh it'll be a hundred years before there's another visual artist on this planet who can make something that is that visually stunning (laughs) like it's just beyond movies it's beyond visual art to me this is my personal opinion and um uh i'm actually not the the a-list art critic camille paglia who's also been also known as sort of she's older now she's like one of the original feminist art critics you know like from 60s and 70s and and that's when she grew up and she also she wrote a book called uh, glittering images she was hired to write a book on the 100 greatest works of modern art the last 30 years and she actually has the same opinion of of me as me where she got to what she had to pick as the number one work of modern art and she couldn't pick one from the visual arts She's like, nothing holds up to the masters. There's nothing. And she she has always loved George Lucas, and she had the sci-fi channel on, and Revenge of Sith came on, and she was like, this is the number one work of art. And 
she kind of like really upset the art world the elite visual art world <laughs> with that but she chose oh, revenge bet. of the sith as the number one yeah that's that's uh incredible like this is how significant it was when i was in art college even before revenge of the sith we're around attack of the clones era i was in an art history class and it was in a big auditorium it was a huge class at ocad university and the the instructor was saying you know um if michelangelo were alive today he was showing us slides he'd be like using cgi technology wouldn't he oh uh, uh and and i put up my hand and i said sir he is alive today his name's george lucas <laughs> And that go the, over? <laughs> the teacher actually, to my surprise, went, you've got a point. Really? Yep. Wow. Wow. George, you know, we're, we're going to talk. We're not going to. We're going to talk about the sequels and, and, the, and the Disney era. We're not going to, uh, uh, you know, uh, critique them at all but george we're not going to get no fight about the rise no, of Skywalker we're not gonna, no that's Jedi. not what the, <laughs> that's not what this is about though what this is about it is but 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 like you know george lucas was something special and you're saying that and it and it's it's true and and um like he's not involved in star wars anymore but but george lucas was definitely something special and uh, yeah, you're. We who knows when we'll see that again. You know, as talented like, as a lot of these filmmakers are, they're not. George Lucas was wasn't a filmmaker. Like, I watched an interview with Richard Dreyfuss the other day, and he goes, "Well, George Lucas hated. It. He's like the only director I ever worked with who hated directing. Hmm. But he was such a visionary. Like everything around it, though, he 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 understood more than anybody else ever could. Yeah, I agree with you. Um... It's, it's especially on the power of what the medium was. I, I mean, let, I, I put it this way. If I say I'm going to say a sentence and it's not going to sound out of place. So I'm going to say Homer, Shakespeare, the Beatles, Picasso, George Lucas. Oh, I think the order's a little uh, out of place because Picasso is a little bit older than the Beatles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. So my chronology was weird, but it does like his name fits. Yes. Like, and there's only yeah. a few. And it, this is beyond just cinema. It's about art in any medium, and who gets to that level. And George is at that level. Not saying other stuff isn't great and masterpiece, you know, and significant and yeah. amazing. It's just in humility. As an artist and musician myself, I just have to look at George Lucas and say, I'm not there, but that guy's there. Yeah, he, <laughs> and he, learn, try he, to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was all. But then, you know what? After Revenge of the Sith, he said, that's it. No more Star Wars. The movies are done. We're done. No more. We're done. We're done. That was, yeah, he, and he kept saying it. T, TMZ is like, hey, George Lucas, Star Wars. He goes, no, I'm done. No more Star Wars. I'm done. I'm done. And then, you know, he'd be like, no, nah, I have an idea. I'm done. I'm done. But then the Clone Wars comes out. They introduce this character called Ahsoka, which everybody hated. Do you remember learning about Ahsoka? Did you hate Ahsoka? Um, and what what point um, were you all in on the Clone Wars? Uh, premiere night, I went and I was excited. At this point, you have to understand that um, as someone who uh, is now out of art school and, and, and in my first few years of practicing as a professional musician and artist i do have a particular bias towards um admiring and respecting and understanding lucas's willingness to experiment and do the things that scare the crap out of him to try something new to find something i've learned personally by this point that the only way you find something is taking the big risks and uh, so there I am on premiere night. I already think Revenge of the Sith is a masterpiece and one of the greatest works I've ever seen. And there I am on premiere night. And I just adored Ahsoka as soon as she got on screen. And I felt lit up by the joy of it. I'm like, okay, so Revenge of the Sith. Wow, that was great work of art. But wow, such a downer, really, because of what happened. But here we are in this moment where we have joy and light again with Anakin and Star Wars in general and the colors. And my big takeaway after coming out of that premiere was that wasn't it, but that will become greatness. Whatever George Lucas is doing with that, it's going to eventually become greatness. 
it wasn't I, greatness yet, but I yeah. I knew it was going to become what season three became. Like I didn't I couldn't picture season three. Yeah, but I knew his experimentation. I was like, that could there. be. Yeah, yeah. I think putting the four episodes as a movie was. I mean, it was a cash grab ultimately by the studio, I guess. But um, you know, it's the the show went on to become. I think something like you said, like. It became something great within Star Wars. As Star Wars is now, like characters from the show are popping up in live action. Who, who, you know, 10, 13 years ago would ever have thought that would have happened? Like these characters are beloved, and they are getting their own spinoff shows in live action, and and more animation with them. And then in two thousand twelve, Disney buys uh, Lucasfilm. And they announced seven, eight, nine, and Clone Wars is dead. They killed, they stabbed Clone Wars in the heart, and all <laughs> and of they us. watch it. Yeah, and everyone goes down with it, and it's very Shakespearean. But the promise of seven, eight, and nine is there. Did you? Were, did were you accepting of the Clone Wars loss with the with the acknowledgement of seven, eight, and nine? Did that play out at all? Um, it, it was that was a dirty trick by Disney. <laughs> Because I was feeling both the the elation and the the euphoria of you know knowing that Luke and Han and Leia were going to come back, but uh, I was not happy with the cancellation of the Clone Wars. I was excited about Rebels, and Rebels was great, but yeah, I was not happy about that. So yeah, I was part of the Save the yeah. Clone Wars campaign and wrote Lucasfilm and all that. Yeah, well, it worked eventually, I think. I think the Disney act, we like I said, we won't get into much, but I think the Disney acquisition really, um, when they bought when they bought it, and they specifically the Star Wars branch of it, I don't think they fully understood what they had on their hands. I don't think they fully grasped what Star Wars had become at that point. No, and I think I think over time they've they've learned. They've definitely they might not still fully understand because I don't know, like it, but I, yeah, I, I'm glad you agree because I don't think they understood what they had. And now they're, I think we're seeing that they're like, oh, okay, there's more to it than just, you know, Luke and a lightsaber. Well, I have some under, uh, you know, behind the scenes official confirmation of that. So at oh, really? the time, at the time, in like that first year of the Disney sale, some, someone we all know whose name I can't mention, who do, who is heavily connected to people that make Star Wars and movies in general on that level said to me that, um, he was like, you're not going to see anything PT for a long, long time. Because he said everyone at Disney is of the older generation and they yeah. hate the prequels and they love the OT. And he said, you're just not going to see anything prequel. Yeah, and that's that's how it was. You know, they got rid of the pod racing flags and the Force Awakens. <laughs> like a subtle little thing like that. Whoa, what, what was that? In the trailer for The Force Awakens, there were uh, flags on Maz Kanata's castle, and there were pot flags from the pod race scene in The Phantom Menace. And uh, when the movie came out, they were not there. They were what? They were they were there, but they didn't have the pod racing. the The flags were different, or whatever. So, okay, what yeah, the bleep? <laughs> and <laughs> on like, and and on another level, bleep because. I hadn't. This is something in Star Wars that I don't know, so I didn't know there was something. I, I yeah, that that happened. I didn't know. That <laughs> <But> is B. <laughs> now you hate the four. Now you're like, well, the whole sequel trilogy is dead to me. Well, no, All no, I love, I love the Force about. Awakens, but it's that kind of stuff yes. that was like, um, it, when you fast when you fast forward to Solo, which I loved. I still love. I think it's maybe the most charming Star Wars movie. It's just so fun and charming. But um, it's not like a groundbreaking work of art, but it's really charming. Yeah, it's an underappreciated Star Wars movie. It's just a fun little side adventure, which is which it is. It's a side quest, you know, uh, spinoff book that we would have picked up in the library and read. That's what that's for me. That's what it felt like, and I I, I love it for that. But when it when it didn't do well at the box office. And um, and then Last Jedi did did exceptionally well, and there was that to, to me 
the more I watch it, the more I see prequel and Clone Wars love in that movie. Um, the I just remember saying to my friends, I'm like, this is the moment when you're going to start to see prequel stuff because Darth, they thought Han and Lando were going to be the buzz things, especially uh-huh. Lando, uh, because Donnie Glover, Danny Glover was obviously amazing, and Alden Ehrenreich was even more amazing, in my opinion. Like to pull off Han is very hard, and I think he did. Um, but be, I'm not not saying that Danny Donald Donald Glover's wasn't amazing because it was, but Lando's not as big of an icon as Han and Harrison Ford. So for mm-hmm. Alden to pull off a good Han and Harrison Ford, I think was really really super tough. Because he had to live up to that huge megastar of Harrison Ford, but I remember saying you're going to see a lot of prequel stuff because Darth Maul is buzzing, and that movie didn't do well financially. And all of us, I think, the stockholders are going to start to realize, hey, we can make money off that prequel era, and this OT thing that you're doing isn't like they're just going to start to say where else can we make money and all fingers are pointing towards including more prequel stuff. Well, and they, and they, the, you know, the five-year-olds that saw the prequels are now 20, 25 year olds. Mm-hmm. And that's who's paying your bills. You know, that's yes. what they want to see when, when we were going in, we wanted to see what we wanted. Now they're going to see what they want and they're, they're going to drive it. And yeah, I think, like I said, I don't think they understood what they had. And I think they really didn't, uh, understand the how and George Lucas said it to Ahmed best right when people when people hated on Jar Jar he said don't worry in 20 years they're gonna love you the kids will be older and they're gonna love you and that's exactly what happened George yeah. Lucas but well, we already talked about him to death today so we won't go anymore but he knew what he was doing he's you know you can't say he didn't know what he was doing uh, the best thing I have to say when when I actually when when I when I absolutely fell in love with Jar Jar there was a moment where I fell in love with him and Ahmed when Ahmed came out and said how he got suicidal because of the backlash. And then he, and then he said, and you know what? Then I realized it was time to tell white people. It was time for them to stop telling a black guy how to do his job. And I realized for the past 15 years, it was all white people who were saying this was a racist character. And now here we have a black, here we have a black guy saying, well, actually the, racism might be that you're all white and telling me how to do my job that was my character that's a great point and then i was like uh, ahmed and jar jar are the most badass thing in star wars ever next to the ewoks <laughs> ewoks and jar jar are two of my favorite things in star wars so well, the ewoks, ewoks, are, ewoks are subversive right they're like the native yeah. tribe that didn't have it. to be saved by the white heroes they were like they saved the heroes yeah, it's it's great. Um, we're gonna we're gonna slowly wrap it up. We're running out of time. Uh, you hated the Last Jedi and you love Rise of Skywalker. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just re- now you're gonna really force joke me. No, but you absolutely love uh, the Last Jedi. Rise of Skywalker. We don't need to get into. The no, it's okay. It's okay. I I I have to say that personally, there are reasons why I will never. Um, like that movie because on an emotional level there's no intellectual thing that i can say to convince myself to like certain parts but i do think that movie is a great ending for a younger audience especially females and that's like it's like a reboot of term return of the jedi for an audience that's not me and i'm fine with letting those other people have it and it's great for you that's great i think that that's the downfall of the entire sequels is all three of them are retreads of the originals. And I know poetry, it rhymes, but I I wish they didn't handcuff themselves to three movies really is ultimately, I think. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about your story. Um, So the sequels have come and gone. Uh, Shivp has a granddaughter, uh, something, something dark side. It all ends all of us. And, but, as it's ending, we are now knee deep in this, in, in the first live action TV show called The Mandalorian. How are your feelings on The Mandalorian? Because uh, I know this is a little complex, so <laughs> we only have a few minutes. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think 
I absolutely adored it. But, you know, it's, who couldn't fall in love with it after the ending of episode one? You know, when he, when he, that moment yeah. with Grogu and you're just like, okay, my heart is completely melted. I'm all in. And as it went, I completely loved every, uh, every, you know, the only, uh, I just, I loved, I completely fell in love with it. And um, I did, I did only have one criticism through the whole thing, uh, which was I need to see more connectivity to the prequels and the Clone Wars and those themes and visuals and just a little less of this, you know, this, the snow forest sand planet iconography of the, of the OT. I just wanted more PT and Clone Wars era stuff, which is, I eventually was starting to get in major doses in season two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And Book of Boba Fett, um, when this airs, it will have already come out a couple of days ago, so we can't speak to it at all. But the future of Star Wars has never been brighter. How excited are you for what's going forward with Star Wars? Well, like I was saying before, I'm just so glad to be in this place where the agony of waiting to find out about Vader and what happened to Luke and Han and Leia is over. And now I could d- and just enjoy Star Wars without the agony. Like, I don't need to know how Boba Fett survived. It's not a question that has been tormenting me my entire life, but I'm excited to know. And I, uh-huh. I have to say that I'm, I don't want to, I think there's a lot of hero worship of Dave Filoni, which I think is really unhealthy. A hero worship in any like that's why I love the Last Jedi. Hero worship is really unhealthy. Luke is a real person who makes mistakes as he grows older, like I have, and that connects to me. That's why I love that movie. Um, hero worship repulses me. It scare. It terrifies me. Actually, it terrifies me to the bone. Um, and and I love Last Jedi for that. And uh, and sorry, what was the question? Because bringing this back to just excited for the future star wars yeah but why am i on this hero worship <laughs> where why did i go on this tangent it, oh i'm uh, excited for where where it goes yeah oh, so dave filoni that whole thing in fandom but but what i think needs to be emphasized or talked about more in fandom on a large scale large scale not just fandom but pulp culture is realizing with respect what a wonderful thing George Lucas did by s- taking 10 years to, to train someone to yeah. train someone and to do it right. So that they know what's important to, to the core of the soul of star Wars, which is George Lucas's soul really, because it's uh-huh. his. And I think I'm not, I don't want to compare the TV world that Dave, Dave Filoni is involved in heavily to the, the sequel trilogy. Cause I, I think I love them both. And there's value in both, but I think... and they're very they are. It's not fair just because they're, they're both Star Wars, but they're they're the way they're handled is very they're very different entities. They're very different. But I think what shines through with the TV world is that John Favreau, who's always loved Lucas and obviously knows what he's doing, you know, ki- you know, yeah. kickstarting the MCU uh, and all his other great successes, was he had the humility to say. Dave, you're working on this with me because I respect George and how George trained you. And they're like Paul and John. They're like they're like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. The Favreau brings a know-how about movies in yeah. general, and then Filoni brings a know-how about uh, from Lucas. And they've, I think, I think what we need to do is just respect what Lucas did, which was to train someone. And so it's not worshiping Dave Filoni as a person. It's with humility, respecting that the artist who created this trained someone. And there's, I think there's something a little that's working better because of that, because of the training. Def- definitely. And those two together, you know, we'll never get, you know, we won't see another George Lucas maybe ever in our lifetimes, but you put those two together, certain people together. And like you said, Favreau has no have like the volume, which they're shooting on, you know, stemmed from early George Lucas stuff, but John Favreau kind of spearheaded that, right? With obviously yeah. with a huge crew of people, but um based on his workings in the past, then Filoni can deal with little things. So it um like not little things, but you know. Uh so yeah, I think that's absolutely right, absolutely it. But we're gonna wrap it up right now. 
We've run out of time on this day. We're going to end it with a, a couple of, of songs of yours. We're going to play so everybody listening can stick around and listen to those. Uh, but then thanks for joining me today. And uh, where can everybody find you and listen to you at? Okay. Well, my little label, Marilyn and Music, has asked me to put Spotify front and center uh, to, to get people there. So find F105 on Spotify. Please follow and listen and like. And then for the social networks, in, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, SoundCloud, all that stuff, it's at F105 Music. Awesome. Make sure you listen to Spotify. I'm going to go on Spotify right now. Uh, but you can keep listening right here. You can listen to this podcast also on Spotify. And if you keep listening, we're going to play Desert Planet. But first, here it is. We're going to start the song. We're going to play the song first that starts our podcast every week. This is Rebel Girl by F105.
Hey scumbags, thanks for watching. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up on our video. As always, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Rebel Scum Podcast, for all the latest videos.